0: So the Jonah saga continues on this morning. Uh, We're taking a month, as I said, to uh, go through this Old Testament book of Jonah. And since it's a story and it builds like a story, I need to take a moment uh, to catch everybody up to speed and to recap. Jonah is a prophet, a messenger of God, and he's sent by God, told by God to go to Nineveh uh, and to tell Nineveh because of their wickedness that they are going to be judged. Let me explain just for a minute the wickedness of Nineveh uh, Nineveh was a great city, second in size in that day only to Babylon, and so they were a massive city, and so when they're wicked, it affects a lot of people. And God was calling Jonah to go and to preach against Nineveh, this Big city that would eventually become the capital of the Assyrian empire he 's telling them to preach against it and tell them that they would be judged. Uh, they are notoriously violent as a people. in fact, uh, Zephaniah chapter two 15 will tell us that they were a city that lived securely. They were a city that says, "I am and there is none beside me. You love those kind of people, right? People who it 's all about me pretend like nobody else is there. I just do my own thing. Nineveh didn 't care. They did whatever they want to do with no regard for other, other people and, and Jonah. Knowing the wickedness of Nineveh, when God says, go to Nineveh, Jonah says, no. He straight up disobeyed God, says, I'm not going. I know these people. I know how they treat men, that they torture men, they skin them alive, they chop off their heads and build pyramids with their heads, they mock them, they rape women, they kill children. Not going there, God. But God's showing them his judgment, right? The message is, proclaim my judgment to them, Jonah. Jonah. But Jonah knows that God has this tendency to show grace to rebellious people. And so Jonah says, nope, not going, because you might show grace. In fact, that's what we see today. And so what Jonah does is instead of going eastward towards Nineveh, he goes westward and hops on a boat towards Tarshish. Tarshish, and he, he flees, he rebels, he runs from God. What God does is in his grace, he sends a storm to get Jonah's attention and everyone on the boat is freaking out because the storm gets so bad that they're going to die. It's pretty clear. They start throwing things overboard. They start praying to false gods. What Jonah does, though, is, is crazy. He actually goes into the belly of this, uh, this big boat and falls asleep. They're like, where's this guy? And they go and get him. They shake him, wake him up. Hey, what are you doing? Pray to your God, whoever your God is. And he begins to uh, realize that it's his fault. The ship is going down. And he admits that to them. And he says, you've got to throw me overboard. We see in chapter 1 that they throw him overboard, and as soon as he hits the water, the storm, the storm stops because Jonah is no longer running. God got his attention. We also see that he doesn't just float like a little buoy in the ocean. He sinks to the bottom of the sea, seaweed wrapped around his neck, and he is dying, and he will die unless something happens, unless God intervenes, and God does intervene. God sends a great fish to swallow him up and saves Jonah from his death. Then we get into chapter 2 and we see Jonah praying to God and, and praising God for his grace that God would save this rebel by sending this great fish. doesn't mean that in the belly of this fish he was happy and it was beautiful and easy. He was probably curled up in the fetal position in this slimy, nasty fish. God's doing a great work in his heart, but he's got a fresh start and he's alive. And then at the end of chapter 2, uh, this, the fish spits him up onto the beach now he's facing eastward yet again with the opportunity to do what God has called him to do. And so today we land in chapter 3 and we see Jonah say yes to God and we see him exercise obedience. He finally obeys. And so let's go Jonah chapter 3 if you're not already there. If you need a Bible, we have some provided in the seats. Uh, And if you don't have one at home, take that one home. Uh, Listen, Jonah is tucked away deep into the Old Testament, and so there is no shame in this church in using your table of contents. So if you need to do that, uh, use your table of contents and find that little book of Jonah. While you're flipping there, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, My little man, Isaiah, he's now six years old, but when he was uh, just a lot younger and just learning how to talk, he had this funny little habit. He had uh, just a a limited vocabulary as a young child, obviously, and uh, whenever he did something wrong, he would say the word obey. He would just immediately uh, go to say the word obey, and he would actually whine the word. And so he knew if he did something wrong, he would go, obey, obey. And so we might not even be in the room, and we'd hear him in the other room going, obey, obey. And we'd go in, and sure enough, something was broken, or he's playing with outlets like he shouldn't be, and, and he would be whining, obey. And so we'd be walking towards him, trying, you know, we're, we're going towards him so that we might discipline him And yet we can't even help but laugh because he's over there going, obey, obey. And uh, what we're talking about today is obey-deance. We're talking about obedience in Jonah chapter 3. You know, God's number one requirement for us, his people, for all people really is obedience. He's called us to obey. And and some of us, I would imagine in a room like this, uh, do not follow Jesus, and we're still checking things out, and we're, we're glad that you're doing that, but let me be clear for you, God's call is to obey him. Uh, others of us in here, uh, we're Christians, we're following Jesus, but maybe there's some areas in our lives that we're not walking in obedience. Maybe there's some areas in our lives that, that we are disobeying the Lord, and, and he's calling us to obey him, to trust him, and so this message, I think, is for, for everybody, and so let's think for a moment, if we can, about obedience, and, and, and let's, let's just kind of ponder uh, a little deeper into obedience. Uh, what does obedience, uh, to, to really any authority in our lives, what does it say? So whether to a parent, or to a professor, or to a boss, or to God, what does obedience say about how you see that relationship between you and that authority in your life? Some of these may apply to you, some of them may not, but let me just kind of go through and, and, and just name them. Uh, first of all, obedience says to that authority that I recognize your authority, right? Obedience says I recognize your authority, and so if it's your parent, I recognize that you are in charge, If it's a professor, I recognize that you run this class. If it's a boss, I recognize you got rank on me, right? If it's God, I recognize that you are sovereign. Psalm 115.3 says our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And so obeying him says I recognize that. So obedience says I recognize your authority. Obedience will also say that I understand that I need you, right? And so if if it's a parent, you say I understand that you feed me. I understand that you house me. I understand that you pay my tuition, right? It's it's I understand that that I need you. If it's a professor, I understand that I need you to give me a good grade so that I can get the diploma that I want. If it's a a boss, it's I understand that you control whether or not I'm employed, if I'm fired or not. And so I recognize that I need you. And God, I recognize if it's God, that I need you because you determine my next breath. You determine my eternal destination. And so our obedience really will speak to, I recognize your authority, I recognize my need for you, and I recognize and I understand that I must trust you. And so if it's a parent, listen, I obey because I trust that you are protecting me and you are providing for me and you're paying my bills. If it's a professor, I obey and I listen to you and I do what you want me to do because I I understand that and trust that you will give good grades to those who uh, listen to you and obey you. If it's a boss, I trust that uh, if I do what you ask me to do, I will get my jo- or keep my job and I'll get a paycheck. Uh, if it's God, I understand and I trust that, that you know what's best for me. Right? And so our obedience to any authority in our life says a, a whole lot. Right? It says I, I recognize your authority. I understand that I need you and I trust you. We could keep going on and on and on about what obedience says about our relationship to authority in, in our lives. And inversely, we could say uh, what our disobedience says about our relationship to authority in our lives. And so when we disobey, we say, I don't submit to your authority. Or when we disobey, we say, I don't need you. When we disobey, we say, I don't trust you. And we could go on and on and on. And so before we read the text, as we Begin to really think on obedience, I I must ask you, what are your current actions saying? Your disobedience or your obedience? What are your current actions saying about how you view God? What does it say about how you view God? In in chapter one, Jonah's actions say, God, I don't need you. I'm running from you. I don't need you. I don't trust your plan. I don't don't believe that it's the best for me. I think I can do this without you. Jonah chapter two is what? Uh, God? I was wrong. (laughs) And I do need you. And I do trust you. I want to trust you more. And I cannot do this without you. I was pretty much dead, but you saved me. And then we see in Jonah chapter three a lot of change in light of what he's learned in the past. And so let's read Jonah three one. Says then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, This is a huge statement the second time, second time, a second command. In fact, the command that he's about to give him is identical to the command that he gave him in Jonah chapter one, verse two. And so what I wanna do throughout the rest of our time together is maybe just give us some observations on obedience from today's scripture. And here's the first observation that we uh, make from verse one here is that we receive second chances to obey God because of God's love and grace. We receive second chances to obey because of God's love and grace. See, God could have said to Jonah, hey, forget it, done with you. It's, it's over, do your own thing. You said no to the all-powerful God. But instead, what we see is he gives him a second chance. And he gives us second chances time and time and time again. It's a gift of grace. We talked last week about grace, that grace is when you get something that you don't deserve. Jonah did not deserve a second chance. He straight up said no to the all-powerful God who gave him a command. And I think oftentimes we see it when a a command comes to us a second time. We kind of see it like, oh, God, you're nagging me about this again convicting me about this, again, just leave me alone. Listen, the worst thing that God could do is leave you alone. It's the worst thing that God could do, is to stop convicting you. And so when he is coming at you again, a second time with a command, he's not nagging you, he's not being mean to you, he's not saying, I want to make your life miserable, he's saying, this is another opportunity for you to obey, and obedience is always my best for you. The worst thing he could do is not come to you a second time with a command. And so we need to uh, submit our life to his authority. It's a gift of grace when he comes at us again. So glad that God gives us second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and in my case, hundredth chances. Why is God this way? Why does God give us second chances? Why doesn't he just say, see you, done, I, I gave you a command, it was my best for you, but you crossed the line, sorry. He does that because, listen, God wants your heart. He really wants your heart. He loves you. And he knows that we don't tend to obey the first time. And so he, in his grace, gives us a second command and a third command and the same thing over and over and over again because obedience is his best for us and he wants us to obey. I love my kids. And you're going to find out, should you be a parent, that they don't often tend to obey the first time around. And so you have to repeat yourself. And you repeat yourself because you want them to hear you, not because you're a jerk, because you want them to obey. You don't want them to fail. You want them to, to, to listen and to be safe and to be cared for. And so you exercise patience with your kid, or at least you try to. And God, the perfect father, exercises patience with us. If you think throughout the Bible, think about how many people were disobedient to God the first time around, the second time around, the third time around, but eventually they obeyed God because God in his grace gave him another chance and he stirred their hearts and they obey. There are too many people to count. Of course, we think about David. He's a man after God's own heart, following the Lord. He sees another woman showering on a rooftop, gets excited, he brings her to his place, commits adultery, has her husband killed. Serious, David? But yet he gives David a second chance. You think about Peter, especially as we move into this Easter season, who denies Jesus three times, The third time so emphatically that he begins to swear and say something along the lines of, may God send me to hell if I ever knew the man. I mean, that's, <laughs> Jesus told him he was going to do this not long before, but yet God gives him a second chance and as he sees him after the resurrection, he says, I love you. And I'm going to give you a second chance. Has God ever given you a second chance? Maybe some of us are here today because God is giving you a second chance. He has brought you here and says, today is is a second chance. You're here because I want to speak to you, and I love you, and I, I care for you. You're not alone in your need for second chances. We all need second chances. A passage that is, is near to me is uh, Lamentations chapter 3, 22 and 23 Here's what it says. It says that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Did you hear that? Every morning, second chance, the newness of his mercy and his love never ceases for you. I need that every single day. It is never too late for you to turn back to God, ever, until you die, as long as you're breathing, Think about the thief on the cross. He's about to die. He's right beside Jesus. He's hanging on the cross. Think it was too late for him? No. Well, he doesn't have any time to go and do good things for the Lord and earn his salvation. Well, it's because you don't earn your salvation. Right? So he's hanging on the cross and he says, Remember me, Lord. And the Lord says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Don't ever use the line, too far gone, or he can't take me back, because it's not true. It's not true with the estranged Jonah who just straight up says no to a direct command from the Lord. If God can take Jonah, he'll take you back. If God can take the wicked, torturous, awful Ninevites, God can take us back. It's never never too late until you pass, as long as you have breath. Man, I'm telling you, it's a good thing that I'm not God, (laughs) right? It's a good thing that you're not God. In mean, the Ninevites, come on. If I were the judge, lock them up. Man, crazy. Think about when somebody's been a jerk to you. You ever had somebody be a jerk to you? Never, right? Of course we have. Think about that. Man, we are quick to anger, we are slow to forgive. Scriptures say that God is just the opposite He's slow to anger, He's quick to forgive. I'm so glad that God is God and I'm not God. Multiple times the Bible will say God is slow to anger. An abounding and abounding in loving kindness. It's a phrase that's repeated over and over and over and over again in the scriptures. That God is slow to anger. He's abounding in loving kindness. Abounding. We just got second chance after second chance after second chance. He's a gracious God. Love that. Now, what did Jonah do? God comes to him a second time. And what does he do? This time he obeys. Look at verses 2 through 3a. So God says a second time, arise Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Here's the next important observation about obedience. Is that we don't need to fully understand to obey. You don't need to fully understand in order to obey. Listen, Jonah didn't fully get... God's command here. Notice in verse 2, it says that God uh, told Jonah to call out against the city the the message that I tell you. So he doesn't even know exactly what the message is, right? The the New American Standard Version will will translate it, uh, proclaim the proclamation that I am going to tell you. So he's like, I'm going to go do what God told me to do. I don't even know exactly what he's going to tell me. I don't know if God's going to bring me in there and cause me to say, because these are wicked people who could just kill him immediately. And History says that they would, that he would go in there and just say, "Um, "Maybe you could obey God." (laughs) Maybe he didn't know if God was going to say, "Go in there and be gentle," or if God was going to say, "Go in there and I want you to scream at the top of your lungs." He didn't know. He just said, "You go and tell the message that I am going to tell you. You You've been called of God to do something that you didn't fully understand. You ever read something in the scriptures?" And you're like, all right, I know what you're telling me to do. I don't really get the why behind that, God. Anybody? Of course. I'm a pastor and I still read things, and I'm like, that's tough. (laughs) In our culture, that's tough. There, There are things in here that we don't quite get all the time. And that's the moment where trust in God is so essential i got to trust him. Has God ever let me down? No. Has God ever been proven wrong in my life? No. So why this time around when I read this or when God tells me to do this, am I going to say, no, 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 God, you're wrong on this one because I don't understand it? No. Even if you don't understand, you trust him based on his credentials. Right? And Jonah trusted God based on his credentials that God, when I didn't trust you, I got messed up really bad. And then when I did trust you, and called out to you, I'm dying. You came and saved me. And so this time, when I have this next chance, I'm going to trust you, even though I don't fully understand exactly what you're telling me to do. You don't have to fully understand him to obey him. Remember, this is the Christian faith, we call this, right? And so oftentimes, we act like, God, I'll have faith in you unless you call call me to exercise faith, <laughs> right? I'll be a Christian just so as long as you don't ask me to exercise faith, and so when it comes to something that I don't understand, and you're saying, trust me, have faith in me. we say, oh, I can't do that, God. I don't understand it. Well, that's why it's called the Christian faith. That's why he says you must come to him in faith. That's what happens is so many people have things in the Scriptures that don't really jive with them, right? Maybe culturally feel a little bit strange. And so what we start to do is we start to pick and choose. and say, I won't take that. I will take that. I won't take that. I will take that. And we have this fragmented Bible. So Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. That one sounds nice. Culturally, that's appealing. And so I'll do that. Scriptures also say, a husband should not divorce his wife. Well, God, um, (laughs) that doesn't quite make sense to me because uh, you want me to be happy, right? And um, you are a God of love, and you love me, right? And... uh, This girl at work, she makes me happy, and uh, my spouse doesn't. And so, um, no, it's not how it works. We pick and choose in the Bible what to obey because we don't trust God when he calls us to do something that just doesn't quite make sense to us or to our culture. What we need to understand is when we don't obey God on something like Adultery, for example, or divorce, for example, is we don't understand that we leave generations of wreckage behind us. We don't understand that your opportunity that is before you here is an opportunity to understand the love of God for us, that he loves somebody who doesn't love him back very well, right? So there are a lot of things happening that we don't quite understand when God calls us to do something that we don't want to do or that we don't quite understand, and Jonah didn't understand the details, but he obeyed and he obeyed based on the past faithfulness of the Lord in his life don't be the person who picks and chooses from the Bible because it doesn't make sense how does that work if it's partially wrong then it's wrong right how do do you go and pick and choose from a God who says I am sovereign I am righteous and true how can you then say well obey that and not that it's insanity just dump the whole thing or obey, the whole thing. Let's read two all the way through five now. Two all the way through five. So God says, second time, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. All right, Jonah, you're getting it right now. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city Going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. So, Jonah gets to Nineveh, this massive city. And when Jonah got there, we see that he finally gets the details of what he's supposed to say to them. That's why Jonah 4, he declares... Forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So he got the message sometime in that journey. Forty days and you're going to be toast. Then what happens? Verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed God. This is exactly what Jonah feared would happen, right? Now, remember, um, the Old Testament scriptures were originally written in Hebrew, and so as you may know, in other languages, uh, words are often arranged in different orders than they are in our language. And so, like in English, we would say, Jesus loves me. In Spanish, I would say, Cristo me ama, right? Jesus, me, he loves, right? Similarly, in the, in the Hebrew language, uh, the words are arranged differently. And the very first word, uh, not here in our English translation, but the very first word in the Hebrew of verse 5 is the word believed. Believed. So immediately after the, the, the words of God declared by Jonah, we get the very first word. They hear it and they what? First word is believed. And the wording and the, the grammar here seems to really emphasize the immediacy of, of Nineveh's belief. We don't read that, that, that Jonah goes in there and he has to convince them, or like, like the Apostle Paul does in the New Testament, that he has to reason with them and persuade them. They just straight up immediately, oh, okay, we, they, they believe. We deserve to be overthrown. They, they, they get it, right? They understand straight up how wicked they are. And, and maybe you've seen it in your own life that oftentimes the people who are in the most obvious need of God's grace because of their wickedness and because of their rebellion, those are oftentimes the people who tend to respond the best to God. They're rebelling and then they hear, what, God loves me? God has a second chance for me? God's season in my life? Think about the Apostle Paul's life in Scripture. Again, he was murdering Christians. And God gave him grace, and he was changed and drastically changed. And he was a powerhouse for God. And the tone of his writings, as you read through his writings, is like, man, grace, 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 because he was so aware of who I was before coming to faith in Jesus and who I am now. That's why he will say things like, I'm the chief of sinners. Yet somehow, God and his grace saved me. And so Jonah declares this message that they're going to be overthrown. And Nineveh immediately, we believe. Okay, we believe. And so what did Nineveh do? It says that they began to, to fast. And they stopped eating and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now, I want to think about sackcloth for a minute. You've seen this stuff? This is a uh, sackcloth right here, or something similar to what sackcloth would have been. Sackcloth is a, um, this, this rough, coarse uh, cloth. We don't see it in our clothing today. It's kind of like burlap. It might not make a whole lot of sense to us, but because it was scratchy and because it was itchy, made to carry stuff around, made by uh, donkey fur and... Uh, flax and, and, and hemp, just scratchy and, and coarse. It's ugly and uncomfortable. The Hebrew tradition was that when you really wanted to, to seek after God, you take off your fancy clothes and you put on this stuff over here, this burlap, this sackcloth. And why would you do this? You do it because it was a sign to others, hey, I am seriously seeking after the Lord. And it's a sign to God, I am seriously seeking after you. It was a, a way of declaring, I am serious in this. And so the people of Nineveh put on this stuff, this, this sackcloth, and they begin to fast. What they're doing is they're saying, yes, you're right, God, we agree with you. We are wicked, and we need to turn from our wickedness. And they, they want to repent. But know this, it didn't happen until what? It didn't happen until Jonah brought the word to them and declared the word of God to them. Let me tell you, all of us have things in our lives that we need to repent of and we need to obey. There are things that we need to uh, turn from and there's a God that we need to turn to and obey his commands. And so the, the next observation is this, that we need the word of God regularly before us in order to live a life of obedience. They didn't turn until the word came before them. They they weren't hearing the word until God brought it to them. And then they respond. We need this before us so that we can live a life of obedience and repentance and and begin following him. Now understand that, that God's words are protection for us and they are love for us and he calls us to obey. And if you want God's protection and you want God's love, and care, and you want his best for you, then you need to put these words before you so that you can live in obedience. You gotta know what to obey and how to follow in order to to receive that. We've gotta make a habit of getting God's word in front of us and holding it against our lives, and that's why we will speak all the time here about you need to get into the scriptures. You need to get in the scriptures. You wanna be cared for by God, nourished by God, protected by God. You want his best for your life. You gotta crack your Bible. You've got to dust it off. Right? That's why we believe deeply that regular commitment to being at church and being with God's people where we open the word frequently is so important. It's for your protection, it's for your well being. That's why God will say in Hebrews chapter 10, He will say, Listen, do not forsake the assembly as is the habit of some. God says, I don't want you to forsake being together. It's so important that if the doors are open, I'm there. I'm committed to a community of faith because there's protection in that. There's God's best in that. We need to be regularly before the word and have it rubbing up against our lives. They responded in in repentance and obedience as soon as the word came to them, immediately. Now look at verses 6, and we'll read through 9. It says, Then the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let him call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Wow. So a move of God is taking place. Obama is saying, let's follow Jesus Right? The, 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 the guy in charge here, the leader, the king, is saying, listen, let's repent. Let's get this right. Nobody's allowed to eat. We're going to put on this sackcloth, and we're going we're to take this seriously. We have been wicked. Call out mightily, God, help us. God, save us. Please, please, do not overthrow us. We need you, Lord. We recognize your authority. We recognize that we've done wrong. We want to obey you. It says that the, the king takes off his robe and he gets off of his throne. Really a great picture, isn't it? And he sits like a beggar in the dirt, on ashes, and puts on this sackcloth. And he's begging God, God, for me, for my people, we need you. And here's our next observation, is that man, when we decide to obey God, God oftentimes causes it to be contagious. Sometimes when we obey God, God will cause it to be contagious. Not all the time. There are going to be times that you're the only one obeying the Lord. But there are also going to be times that God in his grace and in his plan causes your obedience to be contagious and it will affect other people. Whether it's for the good or for the bad, your obedience or your disobedience. And here, You've got to think about the fact that Jonah chose to obey God finally. Therefore, Nineveh chose to obey, and the king chose to obey, and a proclamation is issued through the city to obey the Lord and to end this wickedness and to honor the Lord and to cry out to the Lord and to plead with him. How about in chapter 1? Think all the way back to chapter 1 when Jonah finally turns from his sin and says, I'm not going to run from God anymore. Throw me off the boat. What happens when he decides to obey God? The entire crew starts to worship his God and, and vows to commit a life for him. All the way back in Jonah 1, because listen, our obedience can be contagious and it starts with Jonah obeying. And you have no idea your obedience can affect a person who will affect a person who will affect his family. It will then go on and maybe affect a, a nation, the world. You have no idea the trickle-down effect. Our obedience can be Contagious. I remember um, a few years ago I was uh, working with a student. We were just kind of walking through some passages of scripture on just being pure in our mind and in our thoughts and in our actions. And I remember this student saying, "You know, Josh, one of my biggest struggles is just watching certain movies." He says and it was strange, you know, movies that are you know they're acceptable in our culture, but as I'm watching it, I'm like, eh. <laughs> I wouldn't sit there with Josh and watch this movie, right? And I love how when people around me, they suddenly get really spiritual. And they like to talk, you know, oh, the Lord is so blessed, isn't he, Father? I'm like, call me Josh. (laughs) No, I'm not Father Josh. (laughs) And he said, you know, I'm I'm sitting there, and I'm watching these movies that I know aren't right. I I shouldn't be watching them. And he's like, the funny thing is, I'm not with my non-Christian friends. I've been watching these movies with my Christian friends. This this guy's telling me, he's like, we just... We get together, we hang out, and eventually we turn on a movie. And uh, he's like, man, I'm looking around. I'm like, nobody else is convicted about this. I guess I'm the only one. Why should I be? I'm like, man, I, I know that feeling very well. I told him, I said, here's what you need to do. Next time you need to say something about it. He said, we used to go, we'd get up, and, you we'd know, be hanging out all weekend, and we'd say, let's go to Blockbuster. Remember Blockbuster? Remember that? Remember when you actually had to go to a store to rent a movie? <laughs> and you just turn on your TV and rent it right there. I'm getting lazier and lazier and fatter and fatter. It's great. <laughs> Can't even walk to the store to get a movie. He said, We go into Blockbuster and we pick out a movie and everybody be going, Hey, this, this, this. And he said, Finally, this time I said, Guys, maybe we shouldn't watch that. You ever, you ever thought about <laughs> the content of that movie? And he said, It was so cool. Later he comes back to me and says, like, I said that. And they were like, You're right. He so said, I had people coming to me offline later and be like, Glad you said that. I've been kind of thinking the same thing. And his obedience became contagious. I think back to uh, when Becky and I were in college, right next to our college was this, uh, this theater. And uh, it was like really cheap. I think it was like $2 for a movie or something insane. And then on Tuesday nights, it was 50 cent movie night. And so we just, we were, because it was only 50 cents, i take her on these hot, swanky dates to the movie and uh, spend a dollar on her. <laughs> it was good. And because it was only 50 cents, we'd watch things that I would today would never spend money to go to the theater. I mean, you go to Legacy, and it's insane how much it costs. It's like a $50 ordeal when it's all done. And because of that, we watched stupid things, and then there was a good moment for us where it was like, we' watch watching, for real? And we actually, a few times, got up out of the movie and walked out. Forfeited all that money that I spent. <laughs> So don't be impressed with me. And we found that our obedience began to be contagious. That we had friends who were like, yeah, you're right. We definitely shouldn't be watching this garbage. I know it's only 50 cents. We can entertain ourselves differently. Man, Listen, let's be a people of obedience. And let's watch it be contagious. It's not a competition. But man, when you decide to obey, it convicts other people. It happens with me all the time. Somebody's saying, hey, Josh, I've been praying my face off. And I'm like, have I been praying my face off? It's convicting, and it, it's, it's a good thing. It's contagious. I love how God does that. Let's begin around third base. Um, again, verses 7 through 9 go on, and the king issues this proclamation that no one is to eat, everybody's to, to fast, put on sackcloth, turn from their wicked ways, call out to God. Say, God, please don't overthrow us. We have been very wicked. And the whole city has on sackcloth and ashes, even the animals. I mean, that's bad theology, right? Not all dogs go to heaven, but uh, they were serious, man. We're going to whatever. throw it on our animals. I don't know. But they just wanted to honor the Lord. And in that day, sackcloth was also, um, and fasting was also a sign of mourning somebody has died, right? See what they're doing? They're grieving over their sin. They're they're brokenhearted over their sin. That's what sackcloth symbolized. This is what we need, right? I pray all the time, God, help me to see my sin as ugly and terrible. God, help me to be brokenhearted over my sin. Lord, may I pray like David, Lord, that just this prayer of brokenness, some of the most beautiful psalms, are the Psalms that David prayed? He made some massive mistakes, but his Psalms of Repentance. Those are some of the most beautiful songs in the Bible. May we just be brokenhearted over our sin? May we just really see how great of an offense it is to God that He made us, He gave us breath, and then we choose to live like He's not there and we don't obey Him. And we see just how, how ugly that sin is. You ever been there where you grieve over your sin? You see how much of an offense it is to God, where you grieve over how many people you have hurt with your sin? Man, I had a season just a few years back where I started thinking back to high school, and I'm like, man, some of my sin was a terrible testimony to people who looked up to me as a Christian leader in my high school. Man, it broke my heart. Man, if I could go back and do that over again, just grieve over our sin. It's important. It's important like they were doing, and I just pray that we will be a people who see our sin as, as offensive, and we will grieve it, and we will take it seriously, and as we said last week as we were talking about graces, when you see the depths of your sin, it also really magnifies, amplifies the grace of God, doesn't it? So his grace that he would give me a second chance is amazing, and, you know, today, appropriately enough, it's Communion Sunday, the, the Lord's Supper, when we uh, who follow Jesus will remember what he has done on our behalf. So listen, just because you turn from your sin doesn't mean that there's you know, still not, not a price to be paid. There is. Think about anything you do today. You could steal something from a store, <laughs> and then you get caught, and you say, well, I'll give it back. You still stole, right? price has to be paid. Similarly, when we turn from our sin and turn to the Lord, he's given us a second chance and we can say, I want to follow you, I want to live for you, but a price still has to be paid. And he paid that price for us. That he comes to earth as a man, Jesus of Nazareth, takes on human flesh, lives perfectly undeserving of death, and yet he dies a sinner's death as our substitution so that if we will turn and say, I want to follow you, and I trust in what you've done as my substitution, and we can be cleansed and we can be pardoned of the crime that we have committed. And that uh, juice of the vine represents the blood that was shed of Jesus for the remission, for the forgiveness of sin. The bread represents his body that was nailed on the cross. And So we do this, and we do this, First Corinthians 11 will say as often as we do it, we do this with regularity. Because we regularly need to think on, wow, it cost a lot to have my sin dealt with. It wasn't just like God said, well, okay. No, God is just, and so a price had to be paid because he's loving and forgiving, but he's also just. And so he says, I'll pay that price. The one who was sinned against is also the only one who can fix the problem. It's pretty cool. And we need to, often think on the weight of our sin. And we often need to remember what he has done. We need to frequently be reminded, we're really no different than Jonah. We rebel, we run. We're no different from Nineveh. We have a tendency to hurt people in different ways. We are all a people in need of God's grace. And he offers it to us. You know those cheesy Christian (laughs) t-shirts? If you wore one before, I'm sorry. I've seen, uh, you know, Gold's Gem t-shirts, and then you see God's gem, you know. It's like Jesus lifting a bench, pressing a cross or something. I saw one recently. You know, the Hollister shirts, Hollister, and then it's got, like, the the bird. It said, Holy Spirit, and it had a dove instead. (laughs) Like, all right. How about, here's my idea for the next Christian t-shirt, is rather than having something printed on, we just get it made up of this material. We We have sackcloth on ourselves that we're constantly reminded and grieved over our sin. that We take it seriously that our sin nailed our Savior to the cross. It is no laughing matter. It is a big deal. We understand the price that was paid and just how much it cost. And so today as we partake of communion and we have the death of Jesus on the cross before us yet again and we physically do something to remember the death of Jesus. And some of us in here have never turned to Jesus. You know, communion is reserved for Christians. It is for those people who are following Jesus. But maybe today, as your step of I'm turning to Jesus and I'm trusting in Jesus and I'm following him and I'm I'm gonna become a Christian, maybe today what you need to do is come and take communion for the very first time as a Christian. Who has trusted in the the death of Jesus on the cross for you? And we invite you to that. Others of us in here were Christians, and what a better time. There really is no better time to just deal with our sin and to confess it and to be reminded of what it costs than right now to come and partake of communion. So we're gonna sing our closing song and we're gonna just partake of communion. At any point during the song, you can come up. And, and do that. You might need to take some time to pray, to confess sin, to deal with sin, to talk to another person. Take it seriously and then come up and be reminded of the cross. We do this as often as we do this in remembrance of me, Jesus says. So we're remembering him. Remembering him. God, we remember you in this time. Be glorified in the state of our hearts as we remember you. God, we remember that we were far from you, but you and your grace reached down and you changed our hearts. And now we follow you and trust in your cross and your resurrection. We understand that as we're in this Easter season that the resurrection isn't a resurrection unless you died. And so we think on your cross, Lord. We need it and we take seriously our sins so that it will really magnify your great grace for us for those in this room who are not christians or do your work in their hearts and may they come to you today and partake of communion for the very first time as a new believer or thank you for this great story of how you took a wicked people who do not deserve your favor and you gave them your favor. Thank you for verse 10. It says that when you saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, you relented of the disaster that you said you would do to them. you did not do it. And Lord, thank you that you relented for our sin. You turned on your wrath, you place it on your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We think on it in this time. In the name of Jesus, amen.